I feel this as, as a theme for this year. I, I always pray and I get a lot of times um, no one special, just like any of you. I pray for vision for, this, for the coming day, for the coming year, really, um, every year. And, I, and, and for our household as a church body, something that has been a profound theme, I feel like, will, be, uh, will explode this year for so many people is freedom. People becoming free um, in profound ways. And I know... Um, concerning identity, concerning some of the things we carry. And a lot of times when you say that, there can be nervousness, like, oh my gosh, that makes me nervous, that makes me uncomfortable, you know what I mean? Um, but I don't mean it in that way, that sometimes we, we, we kind of think it's, I mean this freedom in the way of, freedom comes from understanding what has been done in this covenant, in this reality. That's, that's, that's Christianity. It's back to the future. It's, it's understanding what happened 2,000 years ago and catching up to it like, oh my gosh, he's done this. Something the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 1, when, when, it, when it pleased him, God, to reveal his son in me. And it's just like, that's when I was called. I'll, I'll read that actually real quick. I was just looking at that, not the mess for the message, but um, Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Like, I, I got this from God. And, and here is somebody who's like, you know, he's telling this story. When it pleased God who separated me before time and space, before I was outside of my mom's womb, to reveal his son in me, that I was going to be his minister. And it's like, dude, what? You mean, you mean while you were trying to, to kill Christians? <laughs> you know what I mean? When I was on my way to persecute and kill, execute, destroy the Christian faith, God showed up and said, hey, by the way, it's too late. I'm already on the inside of you as well. It's like, that's controversial because he hadn't said the sinner's prayer, y'all. I don't know if you know that. He hadn't said it yet. And God revealed his son on the inside of him. What is this scandalous <clears throat> Scripture, this must be out of context or something. It's like, no, the whole Bible's about this. It's about Jesus, God embodied in the flesh, coming in, into, not just into the world, but into the very dark, the deepest darkness and depravity of humanity. In, went all the way into it, took it upon himself, and now he's all the way inside of humanity itself. Yeah. He's, in a sense, poisoned humanity which is not, poison's the wrong term, you know what I mean? But he, bro he, he broke into something that was fallen, you know, that took on an image that it was never supposed to take. And he did something from the inside out. And religion is working to get back to where we, you know, to, to be accepted. And it's like, hey, the Apostle Paul's saying this in Galatians 1, like I realized not only was I already ex accepted and covered, he was already on the inside of me. He was, he, 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 his son was in me and he revealed that reality to me. Why are you kicking against the goats? That's what he told him. Why are you running this direction, man? It's too late for you. You're fighting against something that's already done or as he would say, it's already finished. It's nuts, man. It's, it's the most brilliant, beautiful truth in the entire universe, galaxy and all the galaxies. And it's that, it's that um, the reality that God came so incognito amongst us that nobody knew who he was. He, he left his identity so that we would actually remember, awaken to who we truly are in our identity and stop wearing all the masks and all the fake outfits that we, that we, that we 
project ourselves as in order to get our needs met, but come back into the reality of what it means to be the beloved of God, the covered of God, and walk out as the imagers of God, as humans were created, as the imagers of God to actually show forth his image in the world, to actually walk in our calling and purpose, which comes completely and totally naturally to us because we were created for it. It's wonderful. And so we look at, it wouldn't be a message for me without talking about my favorite guy, John the Baptist, right? You know, but I was thinking about Jesus coming so incognito that nobody knew him. And I think the best way to start for that, and even for this new year, is back at the very beginning. And what we'll do is I'll probably call this message, I don't know if I'll call it this or not, but it's about the very beginning of signs. Because I wanted to go back to the very beginning, the very first sign of Jesus, or what the Bible calls the beginning of signs, that actually set everything up. Because for our church and for our house, I want it to be so ingrained in our foundation, right? That everything, even in this year, in our entire life, is built on the reality of what he's done. And his first sign forecasted everything he was going to do. And it's brilliant. But it starts with uh, um, the Gospel of John. We'll, We'll start maybe in John 1 verse, you know, let's say 19 ish and i'm just going to kind of read it quickly but it was when the jews and the, and the religious leaders of the day were literally coming to john and asking him like who are you are you the christ are you the prophet like what's your deal like what's who what's your identity and john's like no no i'm, I'm, I'm none of these things he's like what i am is i am the voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the lord he quotes this isaiah 40 and so here's this man, most likely never had a haircut, dreadlocks all the way down his back, covered in you know, camel hair, had a leather belt, baptizing people, starting this, rant, this baptism, this thing. We all know about it, but nobody knew about it in those days, doing this random act, and, and thousands upon thousands of people are coming out to him because there's some supernatural power that's happening, and people are attracted to this Baptist and this, this ritual of this baptism. And so the Pharisees, they're trying to figure out, like, what is going on with you? Who are you? Are you this Messiah that we're waiting on? I'm not. I'm a voice. I'm a voice that's actually sent to prepare, prepare, the, prepare the way for this Messiah. And this is where we get the incognito, stealth Christ himself that's actually been on the scene for 30 years and nobody's known it. Only a couple people knew it. They asked him, saying, well, why are you baptizing with water if you're not the Christ? And he says... I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you don't know coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm actually not worthy to tie. You know, he ends up in some of the other gospels say he's going to baptize you with the spirit and with fire. He was understanding of this new covenant that was coming. John was not dumb. He knew what was going to happen. This indwelling of the spirit that only prophets would get a taste of in the Old Testament. He's like, that's going to be the baptism of this new covenant. But something brilliant there, right there, that's that's. That's a mic drop. I'm actually here to prepare the way for the one you're actually asking me if I am. But the one that's, that you're looking for, he's actually already here and he's among you. That's John 1, verse 26. And it's just like, what? It's like, are you the Messiah? No, I'm not, but he's amongst you. He's walking around and many of you have seen him and you don't even know who he is. And that's where the, that's where the goosebumps should really come in. You know what I mean? It's like today if I was like, you know, say we don't, many of us know each other. And it's just like, by the way, God, the Messiah is in our building today. 
and nobody recognizes them. Would you start one of these right here? Kind of like, <laughs> kind of looking around, like, you know, scanning some folks. Like, I don't know, you, you're kind of tall, kind of handsome. You know, you kind of, I don't know. You got to have that curl hair. You know, it's like, well, you, you know, it's just like, he, he said something, this prophet, that, that they esteemed him as a prophet, especially the people. He said something like, he's actually already here and he's been here and none of you recognize him yet. And so here's the stealth one, the one of whom it says in 1 Corinthians, uh, that if the rulers of this world, the principalities and powers, would have known, they would have never crucified him. He came by such stealth, he hid and concealed his identity so that he could pay for all of us and fully reveal ours for us to walk in the reality of who we are. And he kept his identity that way the whole entire time. You know, so here's stealth, Jesus coming in, John saying he's actually already here, which had to freak those guys out who were so protective of their region, of their position, of everything they had going. And then the first of signs, it says, or at least, see, John is a little bit different because it doesn't tell the wilderness stuff, which is actually quite important concerning identity and a great theme, and I'm sure we'll hit it at some point this year, maybe soon, maybe not. Um, but it goes right into a wedding that Jesus was invited to and his family, and it's John too. And what's interesting about this wedding is Many of us know the story. Many people, we've heard it for some of us, you know, however long you've been a Christian, you've probably heard this. It's this miracle where Jesus ends up turning water into wine. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, it's this really cool thing. But for some reason, in John 2, verse 11, it says this was the beginning of signs that Jesus did. And that phrase, especially when I was a young believer, I'll tell you, like, I read the Bible for years without understanding it at all. You know what I'm saying? It was just like a constant, I was, <laughs> I was reading. He wants that bottle, but he can't quite figure out how to grab a hold of it. It's like, dude, stop dropping it, man. You know? And if he gets wiggly, we do have a kid's room on the right side door, and you can even leave the door open. You can hear us totally fine. Just if he needs to room around. We're, we welcome kids around here. We like them. We have a couple of our own, you know? So, <laughs> so we're into it. Um, but also, it's just like, so the beginning of signs is what it's called in John 2. And I think it's quite, amen, bro, my guy. You should have seen that kid during worship. I don't know if you guys were watching him, but he was, he was like raising his hands and like looking up at the ceiling like this, going like this. And it's just like, what is he seeing that other people are not? I'm serious. I was sitting there just kind of like, like, wow, that kid's locked into something. You know, it's cool. Um, but anyhow, um, John 2, the beginning of signs. And so we're going to break it down and, and say, why is this the beginning of sign? Because what is a sign? I mean, it's just something that points to something, right? Yeah, I think that's a good answer for that. But I'm going to read through John, John 2 briefly, and then we're going to probably, um, then I'll close. How about, in a, kind of. But it says in John 2, this wedding. So boom, he's come. Nobody knows who he is. He starts calling his disciples, the Jacob's Ladder reference. John 2, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So most likely, this was some sort of relative of Jesus' family or something. Cana, a small town, a wedding on the third day. There's our first nod to this being a sign. Third day, obviously speaking of the reality of the resurrection, which Jesus was going to step into, which was going to spread to all of us. So when we read this like a sign, a prophetic symbol, it's like, boom, there's something to this third day that's going to infect all of humanity. Also, the third day was actually a Tuesday. 
So that's random, you know, because Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And so it was like the Jews believed it's like when you read the creation story in Genesis, you know, God said, you know, let there be light. And he saw that the light was good and he divided the light from the darkness. And then on the subsequent days, he would create things and he would say, and he saw that it was good, you know. But the third day is the only day where he saw that it was good twice. And so the third day, a lot of times in, you know, it was often a, a, a wedding day in the ancient Judaism because the Jews saw, because they knew that God had seen that it was good twice. And they, so, they, so they considered the Tuesday weddings basically as like double blessed. So it was like a special time that they could do weddings. It also gave them time after the Sabbath to be able to get where they were going because a lot of times the weddings lasted for like a week long. So I don't know what kind of party that is, but it's, it, was a, it was a big one. So they, they really celebrated it, which is so beautiful. This is another speaking of beginning of signs that God's first sign pointing to his covenant had to do with the wedding, the celebration of unity, the most beautiful a covenant that was given that would cause two people to become one. And that's profoundly prophetic, sharing in his life with him, you know. And so, so here's, the, here's, the, here's the third day, um, and it says that they, Jesus and his disciples were invited, and when they had ran out of wine, Jesus' mother comes to him in verse 3 and says, hey, they don't have any wine. To which Jesus responds to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. To which his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And see, this is another real beautiful picture of a sign of this person that we're getting to know in this gospel and that we're getting to know in life, the gospel, God in the flesh, seeing what he's like. He doesn't seem like he's sitting at the head of the table or in the, or in the, most, in the best spot at the wedding. He's in earshot of the servants at the wedding. He's close to the kitchen, it seems like, so he's humble. But when they found out that they ran out of wine, which was actually a kind of humiliating thing for a family back in those days, um, Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out. It's like thinking in, in our minds. Jesus has been around for 30 years. No one really knows who he is. Mary, Mary has a, a heads up, you know, not to the full extent probably. Um, but for some reason, she thought to go address him about a lack of wine. You know what I mean? It's just like, what had she seen? What had she experienced that, I mean, he wasn't a wine dealer. He didn't have wine on his wagon, a big barrel or something. You know what I mean? Like, so what, what triggered that in her mind to go after him? Like, hey, something, something needs to be done. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm not saying like, you know, he was like multiplying their food at their house when their kids are stumped, you know, but at the same time, she had a heads up on the stuff. And to which Jesus says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Like my time's not come. Like this, isn't, this wouldn't be a big deal for you, but if I do this, it'll be a big deal for me. You know, do what you can do. Do what, hey, do what you can do. You know what I mean? And, you know, we've heard that kind of thing taught through the lens of the bipolar, you know, harsh God of like, you can't control God. Woman, you may think that I'm your son, but I'm really the son of God. And you cannot boss me around, lady. You know, like you can't, you know, it's... Um, but the beauty in this is that his reaction, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour's not come, caused her to turn to the servants and be like, just do whatever he says. 
you know? So she took that, not as a rejection or being put in her place, but as like a, woo! Do whatever he says, guys. Just do whatever he says. So here's Mary and Jesus and the servants of the wedding together, you know, scheming on something that was very cool that ends up being the, the, the beginning of all signs. Yeah. But we see the nature of the Lord Jesus in his relationship to Mary. It wasn't a disrespectful thing. It was like, what does this got to do? Like, just do what he says. She's excited about it. It says, now there were, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. That is very heavy, you know, uh, liquid. And there were six of them. Um, so, you know. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. So Mary's instruction, just do whatever he tells you to do. He's like, all right, what do we need to do? Fill all those water pots up with water all the way to the brim. And, you know, this isn't kosher, right? This is like, wait a second now. Fill those water pots like, you know, those are the cleansing pots according to our, our religious traditions. You know, like we kind of shouldn't be toying around with those. There's some people that will probably get really grumpy if, if we were doing that, you know. And, um, yeah, just, just, just fill them up. And then he said to them, draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it to the master of the feast. And when he had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from. The master of the feast was um, called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you've kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And so here's Jesus doing this symbolic act that becomes the beginning of signs, which is super miraculous and very, very cool. But the way he does it seems to be so controversial. He takes these six water pots of stone and he fills them with water. It would be like, and some of you heard me talk about this, you know, you know, I think I do have a wedding coming up, you know, the old Jake. Yeah. So say we're going to marry, uh, you know, J you know, J Jake, Mr. and Miss Jake Harden in, in, in March, right? In March. And say, but say we rent out one of the big Baptist church downtown, the one with the pillars on it. You know what I mean? That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. But what if we ran out of wine and you guys were really about that wine? And I was just like, yo, just fill up that baptism pool real quick. Fill it up with water and we'll get the ladles out and we'll have, we'll have wine for the whole party. You know? And then that next Sunday when they come back to church and they see that red rim around that bad boy. <laughs> It ain't going to be pretty probably for the Hoff. We're going to get a call probably. You know what I mean? It's going to be like, what, did, what have you done? You know what I mean? What is this? What do you think this is? You know what I mean? Uh, well, after they were well drunk, then they got the inferior because they wouldn't for some reason notice that it was inferior. What is that inferring to? I don't know. Well, use your imagination. And I am, I'm zero okay with being intoxicated. It's definitely one of the works of the flesh that will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's not what we're saying here. But what we're saying is Jesus did something very interesting and controversial for his very first beginning of signs, which was to take six stone water pots, which the number six, that's man was created on the sixth day. It's like it is the number of mankind. And they were stone, you know. This forecast of the new covenant, which was like, I will take 
Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will take the heart of stone from you and I will give you a heart of flesh. Your heart has become hard. It's become stone. But I'm going to do something from the poison of the fall. But I'm going to do something that, that this isn't going to be for the cleansing of the outside of your hands and stuff so you can eat. I'm going to change you from the very inside out. And that was the new wine. That was the wine of the covenant. God was saying like, hey, I'm going to make everyone drunk. No, not at all whatsoever. But I'm going to, I'm going to fill you up with something that alters you, that puts you back in your real state, that gives you joy, makes you merry. You're going to celebrate. God's first sign was at a celebration. Your life and praise and exuberant worship is going to come out of a heart of thanksgiving and celebration for what I've actually done. And it's going to touch the ends of the earth. And it's going to, I'm going to reveal myself in you and I'm going to reveal myself in a lot of people. Just like I did Saul when he was trying to kill people and everybody else that you, that you see. And you're going to call those things that are not as though they are because I'm there. It is finished and I've already done it. And that's the six water pots of stone. And that's the first sign. It's a real, it's a random, it's not a first miracle. It's a first sign. In other words, like this whole thing was actually all a point of something that he was going to do. He was forecasting his plan without anyone knowing it. We thought he was just doing a good deed, saving, saving the, the skin of everybody in the wedding. But he was actually forecast something that he was going to do. Wedding was a celebration of covenant. The highest unity where two people become one and we were going to become one with him in spirit once again. And it was forecasted. We were not only to be cleansed, but we were going to be transformed from the inside out. Mankind, the six water parts. Um, he was going to come so by stealth, no one's going to notice because he's going to have the heart of a servant. Just like when he washed his disciples' feet. Like, if you want to be the grace, be the servant of all. Like, here's Jesus with the servants dishing out wine at a wedding. The God of the universe. So that people can celebrate and, and make merry and be happy together over this union. Over this covenant that was happening. Man, it's cool. Isn't that good news? Just that God's actually joyful, happy, and celebrates with us. He loves people. He loves love. You know what I mean? Golly. The wine was the blood of his new covenant that would be shed. That would completely set us free. Completely transform us from the inside out. And cause us to be the very carriers of his spirit. The vessels not made of stone. The hearts of flesh. Valuing us to be those servants who usher the goodness of our father's kingdom into all the world. This is the beginning of signs. And this is what I wanted to do for the beginning of our year. For the beginning of our family um, of Christianity because there's so much, you know, Jesus comes and um, Luke 22. And again, it's, it's things that we know and things that we, as Christians, it's become in a sense, commonplace to us. But in reality, the disciples had no clue what he was doing. When you, when you look at Luke 22 and you think of like the beginning of signs and the new wine becoming, coming like full circle, full circle, that last Passover before he was crucified in Luke twenty two fifteen, when he was just like, I have longed to eat this Passover with you. I've longed and I've, with fervent desire is what it said. I've longed for this. He knew that he had kept himself so stealth that the, the enemies, the rulers of this world were playing right into his hand and were going to crucify him and he was going to redeem all of us. 
for the joy that was set before him, it says in Hebrews 12 too. I mean, it's just such a beautiful story. We could talk about it for an hour or 40 minutes in this case, but you know, it's just like, it's such a beautiful story. But then he actually takes a cup after, during the Passover, and he takes the Passover to another level, another ritual, and this is where that new wine is coming full circle for these guys in their minds. I will no longer eat of the, of the fruit of the vine until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of my God, in the kingdom of God, sorry. He took the cup and he gave thanks, and he said, he took the cup and, he, and the bread and he gave thanks, and he said, divide it amongst yourselves. And in verse 19 of Luke 22, he said this, he took the bread and he, said, and he gave thanks and he broke and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So out of one loaf, it was like divide this up and do this in remembrance. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of, of the new covenant in my blood, which is actually shed for you. And so here you have the disciples like stepping into this full circle who like when they were first with him, you know, they had to have been thinking they first started following him, went to a wedding and he does the wine trick. And they had no clue. They were younger than almost all of us. Most of them teenagers, honestly, except for probably Peter. But it's like they were young guys and they're at a wedding and they're probably just thinking the new guy, this guy, he is amazing, but he's, he's, new, he's different. He just made water into wine. Like, this is nuts. Like, who? This guy is, this guy is lit. Yeah, I mean, he's something, you know. But now it's catching up to them like everything was calculated. After, after he was crucified, like in Luke 24, like two, you know, he gives them the, the bread and the wine and he's explaining, this is the new covenant. This is my body, which is broken for you. Like, he's, he's giving them, he's starting to give them a grid for everything we've talked about. Like, I'm coming and taking upon myself all of the darkness of humanity, but I'm restoring all of you, you know. My body was broken for every single thing that came in through the fall that you were not supposed to experience. I'm taking the penalty upon myself. My blood is shed for your repentance. Like, you could have a mind change. This new covenant set in my blood. I've taken all of the penalty upon myself, and I'm pronouncing you free. And there, wax on, wax off, Daniel LaRusso going through these motions, not understanding the profoundness of what they mean. You dig? And now we as Christians have a Bible that's, that's written in a place that, in a way that honestly, pretty much anybody can understand it if they just dedicate themselves to reading it. And, and we're seeing like all these things that he was doing, they had so much profound meaning, but they were, they were meant to bring to our mind the remembrance and the understanding of what it was he had accomplished for us so that we would embody it and live it in the here and now. Yeah, man. And so you have all these, you know, you have all the, the, the Apostle Paul coming in, speaking to the church in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, we though many are one bread and one body, we all partake of that one bread. It's like, these aren't just individual. He's like, this bread, and sometimes it is individual. Actually, that's a long loaf today. So we actually have one loaf of bread. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's around the world. It's like this understanding, this bread is not, oh, this is what happened for me. It is what happened for me, but this is the one body that I'm actually a part of. It's his body, but it's all of us, dude. Yeah, it's every single one of us. And the cup is the covenant that has touched every single one of us. 
and we're part of this unity, this, this brilliance. I love 1 John 1, 7. This has always been a, a really key scripture in our church. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, which is that same word, koinonia, or communion, with one another, and, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, it's like, but I thought we had forgiveness of sins. Like, yeah, we did, but so we have to take communion for it to work? Like, no, that's not the case. But what he's saying is like this fellowship, koinonia, this walk of unity that God's called us to be in. You know, he walks in the light, has fellowship. They live this life in unity. And the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses them. It flows between them. We are one body. You know what I mean? And it's like the unity of our body causes a blood flow which flushes our very DNA, spiritually and physically. Everything's about it in the Bible. You know, it's like, well, we're cleansed from sin. It's like not, not about being forgiven. This is talking about being released from the effects of the fall. And that can be controversial. It's like, oh, no, you know, this, we just go to heaven when we die. It's like, no, what Jesus did is caused us to be unlocked from the plagues of this world touching us. Everything that came in through the fall has, has no right to us. That's what he said in Luke 24. He's like that repentance and the remission of sins. Jesus said this, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise again in Luke 24, right? He said because Luke 24, 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Repentance, the ability to change your mind, to break agreement with the old nature of Adam when it manifests and remission of sins in order to be free from the penalty of sin because he's taken it upon himself. That means every single dark thing, not only depression and addiction and all these things, but also sickness. These things, we can walk into such a level in the Lord. And it's not a ritual taking communion and, and it works, but the communion is the, is the ritual that actually brings to our mentality the understanding, the remembrance. Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. Do this as much as you gather in remembrance of me. What's he saying? He's like, have this in your mind. The work has been finished and it is done. Contend for this reality. Walk in fellowship, koinonia, 1 John 1. Walk with believers who believe this way and hold each other to that standard, that they are not who they once were. I want our church to be the most encouraging place in this entire city. I want us to learn to see like him. The testimony of Jesus, Revelation 19 says, is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus, to see everybody according to the testimony of Jesus, what his value for them, his destiny, his purpose, not seeing them as they currently are, but seeing them as they truly are and speaking to that. And when somebody's not in their right identity, it's not to say, hey, you're, you're, being, a, you're being negative, Alan. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like no, I know you. It is to speak the life and the encouragement to them. You know what I mean? To lift one another up. That's what koinonia is. He walks in the light, has that type of fellowship with one another. The blood flows between them. They hold that standard. It's not like, well, let's just agree what we can agree on, disagree. You know what I mean? It's like all that religious stuff. Like, I want nothing to do with it, man. Let's just have a night of worship and just agree with what we can agree with. You know, it's like that stuff, that is just not Christianity, man. It's all in. They had to eat the entire lamb 
to get out of Passover of Egypt. They had to eat the whole thing, not just the little chops that they liked, not the Brazilian steakhouse, the nice little cuts that they liked. You know what I mean? They had to eat that thing, man. They had to consume everything that was him, you know? And that's when Jesus comes and says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what kind of cult is this? <laughs> you know what I mean? They freaked out. But he wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking about this new wine communion. He was talking about this real reality, y'all. You know, the Apostle Paul was talking about it. You know, some of you have been taught this or heard this when you were a kid. I definitely did. Have you ever heard the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 11? Whoever eats this drink, eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And many people have died because of that. And I remember being at, my, at church as a kid and there's like, hey man, before you eat that communion, you might want to go in the back and get yourself right with God real quick so you don't die. You know what I mean? Because that's what the Bible says. And it's like, well, no, that's not what the Bible says. You know what I mean? Because 1 Corinthians 11, like the Apostle Paul is catching people it's become a religion. It's just become a, it's just what we do. Some people are just doing it as a meal replacement, you know. And he's coming to these guys in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, and he's saying, I received communion, this ritual, I received it from the Lord. And we're like, hey, he was, he was crucified and gone before you ever met him, so how'd you receive it from him, you know? Jesus used to come back and teach Paul this in his wilderness years. Jesus physically used to come back and, te- and taught Paul how to take communion. Is that not brilliant? How many? Paul had been stoned to death. You know what death means? It means he had died. The end of being stoned is they drop a millstone on your head. That's how that worked. Crack. I mean, it's in our Bible. He's been, he, had stoned multiple, he had been stoned probably multiple times, at least once, probably multiple times. And one, it records how he got up and walked back into the city afterwards. I don't know if his skull popped back in. I don't know what happened, but there was something indestructible about this guy until it was time for him to go. Was that a little much for some of y'all? I saw a couple faces kind of look like, oh, no. Yeah, well, it's okay. Um, you know, um, but yeah, so he had actually given this to them. Jesus had actually given this to Paul. And so now he's coming to the church, and he's like, hey, this isn't a joke. This isn't a ritual. This is actually real, you guys. For as often as you do this, you, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Like you're actually coming into alignment with everything that he's paid for for your life. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this, this cup, that word unworthy, without reverence, is on the other side of the covenant. Those who are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. It's like whoever, without reverence, without understanding what it is, you're not actually entering into the fruit of what God's actually called you to live. But let a man examine himself and eat the bread and drink from the cup. For this reason, for, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner without reverence, he eats and drinks judgment on himself because he doesn't discern what he's doing. For this reason, many are weak and sick and many sleep. That's so interesting. If we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. Yeah, that's 1 Corinthians eleven thirty and 31. It's just like, hey man, a lot of people are weak and a lot of people are sick and a lot of people go to sleep early because they're not actually cashing in on the reality of what Jesus has actually done for them. This has just become a ritualistic religion. You know what I mean? This is not what it is. 
you know? So here's somebody that gets shipwrecked all the time and beaten up all the time and stoned and stuff. And he's like, dude, this thing works. This thing works. What Jesus has done, this isn't a game. This isn't a religion. This is the real deal. And this is the identity of God. He's the bread and the wine. We take upon ourselves and within ourselves the identity of who he truly is, man. You know, And he lives on the inside out. And the blood of Christ actually flows through us. It actually cleanses us from every effect of the fall. Like our, We're not called to be compatible with the attitudes and mindsets of fallen man. The negativity, the criticism, the judgment, all that's from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's poison. We're not called to be compatible with it. Our, our mind's not supposed to work with negativity, with fear, with anxiety, being limited. It's not supposed to be this way. You know, so that's why when verses like 2 Corinthians 10 talk about like having your mind renewed, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, right? Like taking every thought captive that exalts itself above the knowledge of, of God and submitting it to Jesus Christ. That's the bread and the wine, y'all. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 is the bread and the wine. It's like, hey, no matter what you're thinking, feeling, manifesting, understand, do this often in remembrance of me, submit those thoughts, submit those attitudes, submit that pain which is where a lot of it comes from, and, and, and connect yourself to the healing reality of what Jesus has done. There's a big push in the world for being mindful and all these different things. It's like mindfulness is, is, is a mind that traps the thoughts and cares of this world, causes them to submit to the reality of what Jesus has paid for yeah. and manifest that on the, on, on the contrary. Amen. Yeah, it's taking thoughts captive. It is putting on the mind of Christ. It is all these themes of our Bible, y'all which is really just basic New Testament Christianity. But it is spiritual maturity. Because all the best in any martial art, any sport, all the best are the ones who have the fundamentals down. And it's become second nature to them, first nature to them. No matter what it is, the capacity grows out of that. And that's what I want for our church this year. And, and, and you know, this is everything for us. It's identity, the point is that we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. Basic Christianity. There's nothing higher, there's no higher mysticism in awakened mind than that who has communion and fellowship with God. I'm not talking about the bread and that juice that we're gonna drink, because we're gonna do that, but all that is just a symbolism of this covenant we've entered into, to know Him and to manifest Him, you know? And um, uh, everything's about this. Everything's about being conformed to this image. Um, it's, it, it's really a constant reminder. This whole world is plastic, y'all. It's fake. It's like two-dimensional compared to the reality of the kingdom of heaven that we're called to manifest. And, and the world, it bends to the one who lives by faith with the unlocked mind and heart who walks according to the new covenant. You know what I'm saying? It's like who walks with their true identity as God's imager. You know what I'm saying? Like all success comes that way in this life. Yeah. It's not about a five-year plan. And I'm not against education. I'm educated. I, I, want, I always encourage. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm saying is like, but like success comes in this life, the Christian walk, by being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus and knowing his voice. It opens every door. Yeah. Climate doesn't matter on a freezing day like this. You know, uh, you know uh, uh, financial climate in the world doesn't matter what the trends of this and that, none of these things matter. What matters in success in this walk is having our hearts yielded to Him, knowing His voice, and being conformed into His image. Because many times the issues that He's poking at concerning identity in our lives, 
bringing freedom, which will happen a lot this year, I have a strong feeling in our household, and ushering people into freedom is, is releasing them to, to be re- at rest in the truth of the identity of who they are and walk and manifest the kingdom of heaven. And that's what opens doors. Even in finances and business and all these things, which can be good. It's not a business conference. It's not about a Joseph anointing, a Daniel anointing, da 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 You know, we're not talking about these things. It's like true New Testament Christianity is God opens the doors. The world is plastic, man. It's hardly real compared to what we're called to usher in. And the bride, the city of God, is actually coming out of heaven into this earth. Heaven's going to be on earth, by the way. That's, an, that's another nice thing. This is our, this is our home. Heaven's our home, but it's, it's, it's merging. It's not going away. If you read Revelation, you know what I'm saying? Like heaven's coming to earth. And just like it was called to by mankind in the beginning, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, you know, this is about Adam and Eve, that's, count, that's back. That mandate's back. Be fruitful and multiply. Like, have success. I'm not talking about money. Money's maybe a small portion of it. I'm only talking about have success in your life. Like, have the peace and joy that is the kingdom of the new wine. That's not like, oh, we're the holy rollers that are drunk in the spirit all the time. You know, whatever with that stuff, man. It's fine. It's probably fun. But what I'm saying is that the joy of heaven should be filling us no matter what situation or circumstance we're in. He said... The kingdom is not of eating and drinking, it is of righteousness, it is of peace and it is of joy. What is the world starving for? Peace. Everybody's anxious and, and scared of everything. You know what I mean? Nervous about this and the times and the judgments and all. You know, it's just bad theology mixed with the world just in itself. But the reality is we're called to manifest the peace and joy, which is wholeness. What else is success? Man, I'll tell you. I answer my own questions. But is relationships, like friendships that are like a brotherhood, a sisterhood, where you're happy to see each other. When they walk in, you're like, ah, you know what I mean? Like, that's the, that's the life of the house of God. You know, it, it is, man. Imagine being that way to strangers because you see God in them. It sounds crazy, but it's the kingdom. Yeah, dude. I mean, marriages, where, where, everybody, where we like each other. That's success in the kingdom. The world doesn't have that. I don't know if you guys know that. I know everybody in here is all good, 100%. But I'm just saying, like most they don't get, people don't get along that great. We're like each other. Most marriages are just partnerships at best. Imagine, so we're, we're called to have like healthy relationships and, and love-filled marriages and our, our relationships to our family and our kids. And like all those things are supposed to be like, yeah, like that's be fruitful and multiply. That is, that is show heaven into the earth. That's what success looks like. Yeah, we're called to walk in all of these things. This is the new wine of the covenant of God that we're called to embody, you know. And it's a wonderful thing. And if it sounds too good to be true, it's, that's what they call it, gospel. I know, I know. Not, not that we've laid hold of it fully, but we're pressing on in it, in the reality of this thing. So I got an idea. I think you've probably guessed by now, but I thought the beginning of signs, the new wine, the new covenant, that this is our first meeting of the year. It's January the 2nd, I think. And so why don't we have communion as a family, as a church, and start off the year with this in in mind of like everything that God says we are is who we are. And everything that he, when he said it was finished, he meant it. And so what I'll do if you're a listener around the world or in another United States or in Texas or whatever, you can join with us. I'll pause this. 
We're going to make our way to, the, to that table right there with all that wine. Nicole set it up this morning. It's not wine, it's juice. It's similar. And there's bread back there. And um, so let's grab, let's grab it real quick, and we'll take communion as a family, and we'll kind of we'll we'll wrap up, okay? All right, we've pretty settled in here. Everybody got their, their goods. I always love um, Colossians. When we take communion, it's one of my favorite ones. Um, Colossians 1.19 says, It pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you once, who were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, He is now reconciled in the body of His flesh through His death to present you holy and blameless. And... I love the Passion Translation on that too. It says, everything you once were in Adam has been removed and nailed to the cross. Like every bit of our old identity that's bent to that fallen nature, you know, the Lord has actually taken and he's actually paid for it. He's removed it from us. And this is, this is the reality of what we're celebrating. When Jesus said, take this is my body, take this, this is the blood of my new covenant, he was doing something brand new that no one saw coming, but that he had forecasted this brilliant thing. And so, Lord Jesus, right now, even as a church, I thank you so much for the reality of everything you've paid for. And I thank you for your, for your physical body, which was broken, that now we actually consume as one body, that you severed us from the penalties of the fall, everything that came in through the fall. And I thank you for the blood of your new covenant that has purified us all. You have sanctified and purified us and justified us. Like we are seen as righteous in the sight of God by you as a high priest and as God himself redeeming us, Lord. And so as a family, we just can, we take the body and the blood um, that you've shed and, and we do this in remembrance of you with a heart of thanksgiving. Um, we do this.